iPad Sandy. Uh, our reading now is from Psalm 111. Psalm 111. Praise the Lord. I will extol the Lord with all my heart in the council of the upright and in the embassy. Oh, sorry, in the assembly. Great are the works of the Lord. They are pondered by all who delight in them. Glorious and majestic are his deeds, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wonders to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works, giving them the lands of other nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are steadfast forever and ever, done in faithfulness and uprightness. He provided redemption for his people. He ordained his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding. <coughs> to him belongs eternal praise. Amen. morning. Let's uh, keep our Bibles open there at Psalm 111. We're actually going to read Psalm 112 and that'll be the passage that I'm going to focus on this morning, Psalm 112. So let's read Psalm 112. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who finds great delight in his commands. His children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house and his righteousness endures forever. Even in darkness light dawns for the upright, for the gracious and compassionate and righteous man. Good will come to him who is generous and lends freely, who conducts his affairs with justice. Surely he will never be shaken. A righteous man will be remembered forever. He will have no fear of bad news. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. His heart is secure. He will have no fear. In the end, he will look in triumph on his foes. His, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn will be lifted high in honour. The wicked man will see and be vexed. He will gnash his teeth and waste away. The longings of the wicked will come to nothing. There was an old person whose habits induced him to feed upon rabbits. When he had eaten, 14, when he had eaten 18, he turned perfectly green, which caused him to relinquish those habits. Now, we all, we all recognise the form of this poem, don't we? At least if we're from, you know, 
if, we got, if we've had any experience in Western society, we recognize the poem. It's a limerick. A limerick always has five lines. It always has a certain rhythm. It always has certain lines that rhyme with each other. It's not highbrow poetry. Anyone can make up a limerick. Here's another one. There was a young lady whose chin resembled the point of a pin. So she had it made sharp and purchased a harp and played several tunes with her, with her chin. Now, we all understand, don't we? We all understand that this is not to be taken seriously. You wouldn't uh, write your mortgage in the form of a, in the form of a uh, limerick. Uh, you wouldn't um, hear breaking news on the ABC in the form of a limerick. You wouldn't write a legal document selling your house in the form of a limerick. Now, there's something similar going on in Psalm 112, and I don't mean it's a joke, not at all. I mean there's a form to Psalm 112 which, which the people who re read it first would have recognised immediately. I mean, they read Hebrew, and immediately they would have recognised, ah, a form. And we don't read Hebrew, and so we don't recognise it. And so I'd like to just tell you about it. In the Hebrew alphabet, there are 22 letters. Psalm 112 has 22 letters. Uh, that is after the first word, praise the Lord, which is the Hebrew word, hallelujah. It has 22 lines. And each line is started off by the first letter of, by the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So uh, it's, it's called an acrostic. It's using the letters of the Hebrew alphabet to structure the poem. We recognize a limerick and we know it's a joke. They recognized an acrostic and said, aha, this is something important. This is something to remember. And the A, B, C, D, E kind of structure helps me to remember it. Now, there's something else you need to know about this poem. Just before Psalm 112 is Psalm 111. And Psalm 111 has exactly the same structure. It begins with the words, praise the Lord, hallelujah. And then it has 22 lines, and you guessed it, the 22 lines begin with the successive 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Psalm 111 and 112 are a matched pair. Now, one more thing to know about this, these two psalms. Not only are they a matched pair, but they are stuck intentionally together. The Holy Spirit who who inspired the word of God and inspired the people who put it together, wants us to read these two psalms together. And that's why we read them together this morning. And very often the same ideas are found in the same spot in the psalm. For example, look, look in your Bible. Look at Psalm 112 verse 3. Uh, sorry, 111 verse 3. The second line reads and his righteousness endures forever. Then look at Psalm 112, verse 3. The second line reads, and his righteousness endures forever. 
exactly the same words. But Psalm 111 is about our righteous God and Psalm 112 is about the righteous person. Psalm 112 says that Psalm 111 says about God, his righteousness endures forever. Psalm 112 says about the righteous person, his righteousness endures forever. Have a look at Psalm 111 verse 4. The second line of verse 4 says about God, the Lord is gracious and compassionate. Have a look at Psalm 112 verse 4. The second line says that the righteous man is gracious and compassionate. Now, if you want to go through the psalm, you'll see there's lots of other connections just like that between these two psalms. So I'd like to now just put that on the shelf and we'll think about the reason for that connection in a minute. First of all, let's unpeel Psalm 112 and see what's there. So the opening words, praise the Lord, hallelujah. When, when you use the word hallelujah, you're actually saying praise the Lord. The first three verses of the psalm are like a beatitude, a statement of blessedness. And Psalm 112 verse 1 Blessed is the man. Ever heard those words before? Well, we're immediately reminded of Psalm 1. And Psalm 1 talks about the contrast between the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. And so does Psalm 112. Now, Psalm 1 gives about equal weight to each one, about half-half to the way of the righteous, the way of the wicked. Psalm 112 actually only gives one verse to the way of the wicked, the last verse, but it's really the same uh, message. God blesses righteous people, but the wicked and all their longings and all their ways come to nothing. So look at the beatitude that begins the first, in the first three verses of Psalm 112. How blessed is the person who fears the Lord, who finds great delight in his commands. His children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house and his righteousness endures forever. All these things come to someone who fears the Lord. What does it mean to fear the Lord? Well, one aspect, says verse 1, is that you will find great delight in his commands. It's not that you just keep God's commands, it's that you have affection for them. You, you, you find pleasure in God's commands. God's law is like gold to you. You are someone who can, who can recite Psalm 119 from memory. Well, maybe not, but uh, you can certainly say some of the words of Psalm 119. Say verse 35, Direct me in the path of your commands, for there I find delight. Or verse 47, I delight in your commands because I love them. So what happens when you're like that? What happens when you're that kind of person? When you have those kinds of affections? What happens is that you will have godly and influential 
descendants who will be leaders and mighty people in the land. And, says verse 3, you will be rich and wealthy and your righteousness will endure forever. The health and wealth people are right after all. Godliness leads to perfect health and wealth beyond imagining. The health and wealth gospel that so many people ridicule is true. Is that what it's saying? Well, again, let's put that on the shelf and we'll come back to that as well, I promise. So, verses 1 to 3 are like an extended beatitude. The next main section is verses 4 to 6. Uh, I think verse 4 is a bit ambiguous and maybe a better translation is what shines in the darkness is actually the righteous man himself. The righteous man shines upon the upright in darkness. He is gracious and compassionate and righteous. This righteous man is like a beacon. He shines his light upon the people in darkness. How does the shining of his light show itself? Well, it shows itself in tremendous generosity. Verse 5, he's generous and lends freely. The idea is that he lends out his money at no interest. Verse 9, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. One of the ways in which people's lives were crippled in Israel's day was through the charging of interest on loans. Whole classes of people were made debt slaves in Israel in ancient times. It's not really so different from today, is it? But here is a man who is generous, who doesn't demand interest, who gives people a chance to get off the, off the, debt, off the debt treadmill. What's the outcome? The outcome, surely he will never be shaken. A righteous man will live, will be remembered forever. People will say, just remember him. What, what a paragon he was. What a, what a beacon of the right he was. So the attitude in verses 1 to 3, a description of the righteous in verses 4 to 6, and then verses 7 to 9, the fearlessness of a person who fears the Lord. Verse 7, he will have no fear of bad news. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. His heart is secure. He will have no fear. That word fear is the same word that's found in verse 1. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord. See the point? If you fear the Lord, you won't fear anything else. If there is fear of the Lord in your heart, there's no room for any other fear. Nothing else can make you afraid. Why not? Because your heart is firm. Your heart is steadfast. Something is settled. Something is settled in your heart. You fear the Lord. Nothing else can make you afraid. And so the result is, verse 9, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn will be lifted high in honour. His horn that the symbol of his strength, you have to picture a, a bull with this massive horn charging around. 
the firmly secure righteous man who scatters his gifts to the poor will have great honour. So can you see now that there's a thread which is weaving its way through the psalm? It's the thread of the fear of the Lord. This is one of the three. How blessed are those who fear the Lord. They will be healthy, wealthy and wise. Verses 4 to 6. How righteous are people who fear the Lord. They will shine like a light in the darkness. They will be generous and people will love them. Verses 7 to 9. How stable are people who fear the Lord. No bad news will shake them. No fear has any room in their lives because it's settled. They fear the Lord. That thread finds its way into verse 10 as well. What about those who don't fear the Lord? That's who the wicked are. Those who don't fear the Lord. God's irrelevant in their lives. They dismiss God. They don't find any worth in him. Verse 10 pictures them as seeing the good things that come to those who are righteous and being provoked to anger. The wicked man is so angry he gnashes his teeth. He's like a snorting predatory beast with bared teeth who wants to devour the righteous. But instead, his hatred and his cravings will devour him. And all his longings and desires and plans come to nothing. Now, here's your chance to raise your objections against this psalm. We've flown over Psalm 112, we've seen what it says, but how realistic is it? Surely this psalm applies to only a very small subset of people. Those who are healthy, wealthy and wise, who can afford to be generous, who are great-looking, successful people with perfect teeth, and perfect children, and who say that all their success is from the Lord. You know, you know, the kind, Joel Osteen kind of people. But what about us? Here we are, deeply flawed people, debt slaves, pressured, not successful in the eyes of the world. What about old people for whom every day is a struggle? What about those who are grieving the loss of a loved one? What about people who are, who, are, who are facing their last days and don't know the way ahead? What about Christians in the Middle East who are losing their lives because they fear the Lord? Wouldn't it be nearly impossible for Christians in the Middle East to hear what the psalm is saying? Success and long life and godly descendants and a great reputation because of the fear of the Lord? No. The fear of the Lord has actually led to the opposite of all that. Discrimination, persecution, a life cut off, no descendants because children are being killed, a great reputation, more like the scum of the earth. How does the truth of Psalm 112 intersect with the truth of the world? 
And this is where it's so important to pay attention to the form and context of the psalm. You would not write your will in a form of limerick. So you should not read this psalm as if it's kind of a banner for the health and wealth gospel. Instead, look at the clues. Look at the connections that Psalm 112 makes with Psalm 111 to see what's really going on. Psalm 111 is a portrait of our righteous God. And Psalm 112 is a portrait of the righteous person. And the two must be linked. Here's the point. The character of a righteous person is based on the character of our righteous God. As the righteous person, the person who lives out Psalm 112, fears God, he or she begins to be like God, begins to reflect the character of God. Psalm 111 emphasizes God at work. The key word in the psalm is actually works. Verse 2, great are the works of the Lord. Verse 3, glorious and majestic are his deeds. Verse 6, he has shown his people the power of his works. Verse 7, the power of his, the, the works of his hand are faithful and just. Actually, out of ten verses, eight of them talking about the works of the Lord. When you, and Psalm 111 is about the righteous God who is at work. But then look at the very last verse of Psalm 111. It's verse 10. It calls for a response. What is a wise and proper response to a God who is at work? Verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding. To him belongs eternal praise. The wise response to an active God is to be an active God-fearer. And Psalm 112 is exactly about that. It's about how an active God-fearer lives. The blessedness, the blessedness of a God-fearer, the righteousness of a God-fearer, the stability of a God-fearer, and the hopelessness of those who are not God-fearers. Psalm 111 could have the title, God at Work. Psalm 112 could have the title, The God-Fearer at Work. Psalm 111 shows God at work in the world. Psalm 112 shows God's person at work in the world. Being a blessing in God's world. Psalm 112 is not about perfect success. It's about the ways in which God pours out his blessing on the world through his people, through people who fear him. Psalm 112 shows what kinds of human actions best mirror the Lord's actions. We human beings are made in the image of God. But what does that mean, to be made in the image of God? Well, one of the, one of the things it means is we can live out the image of God in a certain way and Psalm 112 shows us how. 
when humans being live out the wisdom of Psalm 112. They are most like God. God's righteousness gets to have some expression in the world. God's righteousness begins to be made real in the world. Now, that God worked out his righteousness in the world through a human being most perfectly in Jesus Christ. Psalm 112 actually paints a picture of Jesus Christ. When you substitute the name Jesus for the righteous man in Psalm 112, it just makes so much sense. Jesus is the one who perfectly feared the Lord, who delighted in God's will. Jesus is the one whose offspring, that is his children, are greatly blessed. Jesus is the one whose righteousness endures forever. Jesus is the light who shines in a dark place. Jesus is gracious and compassionate and righteous. Jesus had no fear of bad news. When the wicked saw Jesus and his righteousness, they gnashed their teeth at him and they attacked him and they crucified him and they buried him and but in the end, Jesus rose from death, defeated death, and all the plans and longings of the wicked came to nothing. And Jesus is the model for how you and I can get involved in displaying the righteousness of God in the world, making it real in the world. And I think this is the best way to read Psalm 112. Psalm 112 is a manifesto for how you and I can follow Jesus in bringing the righteousness of God to light in the world, expressing the action of God in our neighbourhoods. And Psalm 112 puts a magnifying glass on one particular aspect of that. And that aspect is how we deal with wealth and money. And here, here it's especially important to take note of the connections between 111 and 112. The connection sounds out a repeated theme. And that repeated theme is, God has been so generous to us, now how can we be generous to others? Now I think here in South Barn, we're quite familiar with that theme, aren't we? We think one of our church values is blessed in order to be a blessing. That's exactly the point here. God has been so generous to us. How can we be generous to others? Psalm 112 verse 5. God will come to him who lends freely, who conducts his affairs with justice. Psalm 111 verse 5. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. God has been so generous to us. How can we be generous to others? Psalm 112 verse 9. He, the righteous man, has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn will be lifted high in honour. 
the, the idea of generosity is intensified. Now it's not just a loan that you've got to pay back, even though it's interest-free. Now it's just a free gift. No expectation of return. But look at the counterpart in Psalm 111, verse 9. He provided redemption for his people. God has been so generous to us. How can we be generous to others? Now, the reason that I think I'm onto something here is because this is exactly the way that Paul quotes the psalm in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Let me just tell you about that. Um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul is urging the Christians in Corinth to give generously. Uh, he's raising a fund to help the Christians in Jerusalem who have been struck by a famine. And his basic argument right through chapters 8 and 9 is this. Since God has been generous to you in Christ Jesus, so now be generous with your money. Prove that you really are people who've, redeemed, who've been redeemed through Jesus by redeeming your poor brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that through you his poverty might become rich. Now, Paul quotes from Psalm 112 verse 9 in 2 Corinthians 9. Let me read some verses from verse 6 of 2 Corinthians 9. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, and this is Psalm 112, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. What kind of giver does God love? Remember, God loves this. What kind of giver does God love? A cheerful giver. How can you be a cheerful giver? By remembering what the Lord has given to you. This is a, an area of life where we can stand out as Christians. It's not a matter of how rich you are. Some people think, okay, the guy in Psalm 112 is a really rich guy who can, who can afford to, 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 to give all, this, all, this, all, all, all these possessions away. But it's not, it's not the rich and powerful who are the most generous often, is it? No. Here's the point from these two psalms together. God has been so generous to us. Now, how can we be generous to others? What are we doing with what we have? What are we doing? We, we have so much. What are we doing with it? Is God's blessing flowing from God through you out to others, to the lives of others. You know, God loves that. He loves a cheerful giver. 
God loves people who give because they understand how generous God has been to them. Do you want God to love what you are doing with your resources? A few weeks ago, the Australian government shrank our foreign aid budget by $200 million. Does God love that? We as a country have effectively closed our borders to the weakest and most vulnerable people. Does God love that? Well, they, they seem such big things. It doesn't seem much we can do about these things. Maybe not till the next election. Maybe never. But, but each of us can make decisions about our own dealings with wealth and money in the week ahead. All of us will have an opportunity this week to bring something of God's righteousness into the world in the way that we use our possessions. This week, we will have an opportunity to demonstrate what it is like to live as someone who fears the Lord and who loves his work. That's exciting. It's exciting to, be, to, to potentially be an instrument of God's righteousness in the world. To do something that God loves. Pray for wisdom. Remember, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Let's pray, shall we? Our gracious Father in heaven, all good things come from you. Anything good that we do in this world is is you working in us and through us. And yet you call us to be responsible and we pray that you would give us wisdom in knowing how we can be generous, always remembering how generous you have been to us. May your righteousness be worked out in the world and as that righteousness is worked out in the world, we pray that you would use us as your instruments. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.